This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com and the Radio.com app. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Great Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn f***ing It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. Welcome into episode 47 of the Skate Pod. Brian D. Fleece joined alongside Scott McLaughlin and Bridget Prue. How are you guys doing? Ready to talk hockey. You and I have been talking hockey for an hour just, yeah, <laughs> just waiting Scott. for Scott to get here. But Put someone's three takeaways. I had to... Well, that's because right, that's somebody took right one of mine. So I had to, that, I had to redo the first one. Were there a lot of typos and grammar errors or something? Oh, tons. Yeah, Scott Scott turns us into writers, but he was putting on his makeup today, so he took a little time, but... <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're here. We're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, it's been... What a week, like... So the last time we talked was was right after the trade deadline, uh, just as they made all those deals, and now we've seen them in action for four games, and man, results are impressive. Four and zero, new guys have all played well. Taylor Hall has two goals and an assist. Mike Riley has looked good. Had one tough shift today that led he had, in part led to a goal against. Yeah, that was a bad decision on his part to go for the puck there. But also, I noticed he he didn't look as sharp. In other parts of the game today as well, but yeah, overall, overall, you can only say good things about what he brings to the team. Yeah, it's it's exactly what they needed. Like they needed another left shot puck mover. They needed someone who's going to be clean on breakouts, clean in transition. And he's been that and more, and he's been getting a shot through, which is something like Bruce Cassidy he, has been preaching all season. Like we need our defensemen to get their shots through, and he he does. He gets them low usually on the pads. He had a, he had a few through. Uh, today on Vanacek and and they look good they come and they come with a a big rebound usually right off the pads yeah and uh obviously yeah so he's helping to create offense Hall's doing his thing he looks doesn't look at I mean look I'm not gonna sit here and pretend that I watched a ton of Buffalo Sabres games this year I'm not really sure why you would uh unless you had to but he looks like old Taylor Hall like he doesn't look like someone who's having like an awful season or anything like he's come in Maybe it's just re-energized. Maybe he needed the change of scenery, but he's creating offense. He's he's driving chances and doing really what what you were hoping that he'd be able to come in and do. And can I can I bring up something Brian and I were talking about um, before we started recording? You agree with me, Brian, that he looks really good when he has the puck on his stick and he's making moves by himself. But he's still, and by the way, in the first period of every game, he looks a little bit out of place. And then when he knows he's going to make a pass to his teammates, he's a little bit slow because I think he's overthinking things because he knows the chemistry is not there yet. So he's a little bit hesitant to make the plays, and sometimes he's not he's not finding where the guys are. Like I know the other day he had a drop pass to McAvoy where McAvoy had crashed the net and wasn't at the point anymore. But, Brian, do you think that – I mean, there's obviously a new a next gear that he can hit. Yeah, I think it's only natural that – he seemed rather tentative when when he first took the ice with the Bruins because when you're in Buffalo and you're having such a poor year, the last thing that you want to do is come to a new team and have a costly turnover and have people you know breathing down your neck like why did we get him or he you know he sucks. So I think it's understandable that he he, he got off to a slow start in in the Buffalo game, 
But as those Islanders games got underway and you started to see his confidence come back, and I talk about it a lot with some of the younger forwards like Jake DeBrusque, for example, or Andres Bjork when he was here. Like, um, Confidence is so important, and when you have confidence, that's 90% of the battle. The mental battle is is you know very important, and David Pashnak has struggled uh, with confidence lately. But yes, with Taylor Hall's confidence lately, uh, if he's going at his you know former self, his former MVP self, and he adds a much different dynamic to this Bruins uh, forward core. Once he gets settled in, he looks so much more comfortable, but I think it takes him like about a period and maybe even a little bit longer. And after he got both of his goals, he came out looking like a different person. As soon as he got the goal, um, his first goal, he, after that he continued to play very strong hockey. And then uh, his most recent goal, his second goal of the Bruins, same thing. He comes out and he looks like a different player to end the game than he does to start it. Well, and you know what I like? Like, even even early in Sunday's game against the Capitals, you know, I agree with you. Like, it's taken him a little bit to get into some of these games, especially the Buffalo game. But there's a couple things I've liked, even when, like, he hasn't necessarily been creating great chances. And on Sunday, you saw it a few times early where it's like, he has zone entries that seem almost effortless. And, like, they're not. Like, there's defenders around him, but he just comes with speed and backs them off and gets into the zone. And, like... You know, okay, maybe he's, like, missed a couple of reads or whatever once he's gotten in, but it's, like, he's going to have that foundation to build off just because that part of the that part of his game is, it's not effortless, it's not easy, that's not something that every forward can do, but it almost seems like it with him, where it's, like, if he gets the puck at his own blue line in the neutral zone, he's going to get into the offensive zone, and, like, then you go from there. And another thing I liked, even in that Buffalo game, was he had some really good back checks. He was giving effort and using his speed on the back check. So it was like, even at times where he wasn't creating a ton of offense, the effort was there and he was helping the team in that way. And it was one of his back checks that led to the chance in that first game against Buffalo that ended up being the Craig Smith goal that uh, Hall didn't get an assist on, which, he, you know, he didn't really deserve because well, he kind of turned like, it over. It was, so. a, it was like a turnover that yeah. ended up on the stick of Smith, which he did help create the space. And, and when he was Yeah. Moving. Well, he helped create the whole chance first with the back check and then with the Russian transition. So he had two goals with Buffalo in the first 35 games of the year, whatever. Comes to Boston, has two in his first four games, and you know could have you know three, four, even five maybe. He's had some good chances. And on the two goals he scored, each goal exemplified why he was a first overall pick in 2010. You know, the, the first goal against the Islanders, it was during a line change. And so when Pashnak um, passed, passed it over to the left wing, I didn't know it was Hall at first, and, and when I was watching the television, I said to myself, who's that? Because nobody on the Bruins, like, you know, ordinarily has, that's not on that line, has, like, that kind of breakaway speed. I was like, oh, that's Hall, right? And then he comes down and, you know, obviously shields the puck um, before scoring a goal, scorer's goal. And mind you, the five-hole probably shouldn't have been available for him in that one, but he took advantage. And then the goal against... The goal again, and by the way, when he scored, you kind of saw like that that sigh of relief, that that little fist pump, and the goal against um, the the Islanders, the, the next game, uh, again just takes over the play uh, with with that that transition, like you're talking about Scott crossing the blue line, giving it over to Krejci with the give and go, and going hard to the net. One play that he had today against the Capitals that I that stood out to me that was a non goal by him but something that's just as important in a different facet of his game was the first goal that David Krejci scored. Um, Krejci scores on a cross-ice pass from 
my boy Connor Clifton. Uh, but the play starts 200 feet away from from where they scored with Mike Riley um, giving it to Hall on the boards during the breakout. And what I liked about that play is that Hall uh, had patience. He took his time. He surveyed, you know, what the right play was instead of doing something too quick or, or you know, rushing a play. Uh, he had confidence and, and he had poise and he found Clifton who kind of came as a second wave and then eventually, you know, they ended up scoring. But it's it starts in your own end, and that that's something that's encouraging to see out of Taylor Hall. Yeah, and by the way, like once Matt Grizzly comes back, which could potentially be this week, sounds like he might go on the road with the Bruins. Um, yeah, Cassidy said he it was most likely that he's going to make the trip. Yeah, to but the, the idea that you could go from having you know depending on how they line up the pairs, but I think they'll probably go back to Grizzly McAvoy, and Riley will stay on his second pair with whether it's Clifton or Kevin Miller or eventually Brandon Carlo, but you could have breakouts and transition games down the left side that go Grizzly to Marshawn once shift and then Riley to Hall the next shift. And like that's just going to be hell on teams trying to defend that side of the ice because those guys are all good skaters, all great with the puck on their stick. It gives them a completely new look. Yeah. And on the power play as well, the look has changed because of Riley and Hall. So when you think about the first unit, power play you're used to seeing Grizzlick up there and I know Brian wants to see McAvoy up there more often but Riley has been really successful um from the point like you mentioned because he gets shots through but he has a good vision of the ice from up there I've I've liked pretty much everything I've seen from him on the power play yeah I mean go ahead Brian so the McAvoy on the on the top unit theory of mine or, or wish of mine yeah, that was before Riley came to town, and he kind of changes things. And, you know, the Bruins' top unit has been struggling as uh, evidenced by their five-minute power play in the third period today against the Capitals where they could have iced the game and instead made it a lot closer than it should have been. And if it wasn't for a Tuka Rask save on Nick Backstrom and a breakaway save on Tom Wilson, like, anyway, uh, the Bruins' top unit is struggling. They're struggling with zone entries, and so... Their power play as a whole is struggling. Yeah, I mean, Krejci and Smith, they tend to get opportunities when they're out there together on the power play. But ultimately, um, with the addition of Taylor Hall up front, and now you have kind of three defensive candidates that I think could quarterback a top unit in uh, Grizzlick, McAvoy, and Riley. There are some decisions to be made there. I'm curious as to what you guys think might be the best option there on the top of the uh, the top. Let's just call it the top unit in general. Who do you think should be uh, at the top of the umbrella as a defenseman if they're going to go a one defenseman look? And maybe should Hall be in that top unit? I think uh, I think it might be Riley at the top. Uh, I might want to stick with him there because he does get a shot through. Uh, and Grizzly and Magavoy have both struggled with that a little bit. I think eventually Hall does end up on the top unit. He but was, he was it's, for a little bit, and, and then today they went away from it in the Capitals game, which I won't, I'll, I'll let you finish, but I do want to get back to that, uh, how I feel about that. Yeah, well, so I was going to say that the reason I think they went away from it is Cassidy said after the game uh, Friday night that he went to it basically because it was tempting, because the usual top unit wasn't really working. It's like, hey, we have Taylor Hall, why not try him out there? But then he said he kind of regretted it because they hadn't practiced with Taylor Hall in that union yet. And that's kind of the problem right now with a lot of the system stuff with these new guys is, like, they just don't have full practices anymore. Like, they're just not a thing. The schedule is so compact that they have to take – when they do have days between games, they either take the day off or they have a short skate, you know, day of game. Like, 
they're actually doing a little bit more than just regular morning skates at times. They are do, trying to do like some system stuff, but it's just tough to like actually install any of that stuff at this point in the season with the way that the schedule is. And Krejci said so much in his post-game media availability after the Capitals game. He said that he likes working with Hall, but they haven't had a legitimate practice where they were able to get their chemistry going, so there's still a lot for them to work on, he said. Now, to go back to talking about whether or not Hall should be on the first unit, I thought he looked good there. I like him on the first unit, and maybe it is just, you know, getting him a few more practice reps in with those guys, but I I thought he had more opportunities when he was on the first unit, and then they had, you know, him on one side and Pasta on the other side in the circles just ready to unload, and I liked the look. Yeah. I just think that that was a better option. Richie didn't really do much for the first unit power play today, and he's the one that they slotted back in instead of Hall. Yeah, well, it, it's going to... If you do end up putting Hall in that unit, it's going to force penalty kills to adjust and figure out how to defend something different because penalty kills all year have really keyed on that Pasternak one-timer from the left circle that hasn't been there nearly as much as it has been in the past. And they've also started to key on that like right that pass right in front of the net from Marshawn to Richie that we've seen work quite a few times, especially early in the year. So, you know, that, I mean, that's the, the NHL. That's the game of adjustments. Like, yeah, you're going to do something that's going to be successful. Teams are going to see it on video, and especially when you're playing the same seven teams over and over again. They're going to see it, they're going to figure it out, and they're going to start to defend it. So putting Hall out there, you know, in place of Richie, like you say, with Hall on one side, Pasternak on the other, well, now that's something different that they haven't seen, and they're going to have to adjust again. At the end of the day, you want your top power play unit to have as many scoring threats as possible, and I just think... That does include Taylor Hall. And and the look you guys are speaking of with Taylor Hall on one circle and Pashnak on the other circle, I think, like you guys have talked about, it makes the defense have to uh, you know consider more options. And you've noticed the Bruins, uh, they've been putting Pashnak on his strong side lately because, like you said, Scott, they're taking away the one-timer. And that's just a sign of, an, uh, of a coaching staff and a power play unit that doesn't know exactly how to counter taking away some of your biggest threats and so so the, the best way to do so is to add more threats and so if you have and i i like what you said scott about having riley as a top unit uh defenseman because he does get his shots through and when you can have a power play and in the first 10 15 seconds get a shot on that that gets from you know from riley or something like that that gets the the penalty killers scrambling a bit and gets them out of their out of their rhythm and out of position that opens up passing seams so i think if you have riley at the top Pashnak and Hall on uh, on their offsides on the circles. Marshan beneath the goal line and Bergeron in front slash bumper. That's probably your best bet. Now, you're going to lack some size in front. Um, but I think that's your best bet. And then maybe you have a second unit with McAvoy and Grizzlick and, and, and a two-defense look and then you know plug and play with some forwards up there. So I think the lack of practice time is tough. It's not going to get any easier. you know, you got three games against Buffalo. It's going to be tough down the stretch. But I think... I mean, that could be practice. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like a scrimmage, right? An organized scrimmage against... Uh, Although, I will say Buffalo's at least been giving a better effort of late. They have. I, I was saying this to Brian, too. Yeah. So, it, it should still be three winnable games, no question about it. But, like, yeah, at least it's not like you're facing a... In some ways, I actually think it's better for the Bruins. Like, they're still going to have to work for these wins. You know, at least it's not like, oh, we'll just coast through these ones and, you know, and then you get hammer the next time you play a real team yeah because then they have two games at pittsburgh after so it's a five-game road trip so. yeah 
I mean, you got to conserve your energy a little bit. You do have a back-to-back on uh, Thursday and Friday with Buffalo on the 22nd and the 23rd, so that should be interesting. I know Halak should be back by then, but Swayman, I, I, I like to, I'd like to see Swayman there. Yeah, I think I think Swayman should be your number two goalie, but behind Rask right now, and and with the way the schedule is, essentially they're splitting time as co ones for now. I mean, the schedule is so compact that like if Halak's gonna get into a game at some point. There is still an opportunity to do it, but he's still got to work his way back. I mean, he's been out for a while now, like, you know, two-plus weeks. So he's going to have to work his way back up and get uh, get some reps. And as we already mentioned, that's tough to do because they don't really have a lot of practices right now. Yeah, well, and Cassidy said that Halak's been skating on his own, quote-unquote, but obviously that's not, you know, that's just skating, I'm yeah, pretty sure. I, like, he's not allowed to be near any of the rest of the teams. So. I think they're trying to buy their time with, with... I think they're trying to milk the Halak situation. I don't know if there's any, like, you know, roster, you know, reasons why they're they're kind of, like, being hush-hush, but I think, look, the, the point of a backup goaltender is for two things. Number one, to alleviate some some stress and, you know, um, you know game reps from your starter. And, uh, you know, that's actually pretty much the main reason because... Oh, and, and two, obviously, to be able to give you a chance to win. But as we learned last year in the playoffs, uh, Halak's not going to get you that second part. He he's a he's a he's a really good backup goaltender. You know, maybe could push for a starting role on a really you know bad team. But he's not going to, as we saw last year, win you playoff series. So for that reason and that reason alone, Swayman should be the guy because because he, he seems ready to do that if called upon, and he does have that element of surprise. So for my money, however you do it, I don't know how you're going to, maybe like you have to put Halak on the taxi. I don't know how it's going to work or send him down to Providence, but he's probably a one-way deal. So Well, they, I don't know. they, they can keep three goalies on the active roster. Because okay. the way you have to do it right now is you have to obviously have two on the active roster, and then either you have to have a third on the practice squad or you have a third on the active roster. So like I think the Hurricanes right now have three on the active roster with – Reimer, Nedeljkovic, and uh, Mrazic since he came back from injury. And that Zamboni driver from Toronto, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so you can do it. You can have – now there's cap stuff. Like, I, you know. See, that's what I'm not too privy on. Like, but but I, I think – but Halak never went on long-term IR, so I think he's already under the cap. So I, th- I think they would be okay there. I don't think there's any real maneuvering they would have to do. It's just a matter of whether Halak's going to play. Like, do you feel like – do you feel like he's still your number two or potentially your number two and you want to get him playing time and see how it goes? Or 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 do you say, look, Rask and Swayman are, are two. We only have, you know, whatever it is, 14, 15 games left. Uh, we're playing them. We need to get Rask reps before the playoffs because he just came back from injury. We want to get Swayman as much experience as possible before the playoffs. That would be my approach as long as the two of them are staying healthy. I wouldn't. If I were the Bruins, I wouldn't feel the need to to rush Halak back into action. Uh, like, I, like I said, I, I just don't see I don't see the pro of 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 Halak taking over the backup duties over Swayman because now we know Swayman. Like two weeks ago, we didn't. Uh, we did, but we didn't see him in in, in NHL action. And yeah, what we've and he seen, got, and he's gotten a shutout. He so uh, his in his own words, he loves shootouts, which is crazy. But he's he's up for anything, and I think maybe it's recency bias, but. Uh, because we haven't seen Halak in a little bit, but I don't know why you wouldn't go to Swayman in that back-to-back the Friday game in Buffalo. I I mean his confidence is high. I think it's like you said. There's no reason not to. 
I well, don't I don't see any good reason not to. Yeah, and it's worth pointing out that Halak wasn't exactly playing his best before he went on the COVID list. I mean, at that point, it was him and Vladar splitting time. And I thought for a good stretch there, Vladar was outplaying him. So, you know, it's, it's not like Halak was setting the world on fire and then he got COVID and, like, oh, tough break. Like, he was already, you know, not playing horribly, but certainly not playing as good as well as we've seen well, him play in the past. The simple fact of the matter is this. Points are at a premium for the Bruins, and Swayman gives him a better chance to win yeah. in, 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 the, in the situation that Rask isn't in that. So for that reason alone, it's Swayman. And Bridget and I were discussing before, like, I think, you know, three points or less is an absolute failure by the Bruins uh, in these next three games against Buffalo. I, I mean, if you go 2-0-1, you get five out of six. Like, that's, that's you know, bare minimum, the Bruins should win two out of three. They should get at least four, if not five or six points against Buffalo, and they yeah. need to. And especially coming off a situation where, look, I haven't actually checked. The, the Rangers and Devils were tied at three, but the, the, the Rangers had beaten the Devils in two straight games. Um, they're getting points. The Bruins have games in hand. But fortunately for the Bruins, you know, they took care of business against two of the top teams in the division, and they got six out of six points against the Islanders and the Capitals. Had they not, this would be a very, very sticky situation for them. And just because they got six out of six against the Isles and the Capitals, that doesn't mean that they can let up. And so they have to, you know, they have to take care of business in Buffalo. And when it comes to the goaltender situation, that means Swayman over anybody else. And uh, Bridget, I think you had mentioned earlier the Bruins kind of. By the like, way, Rangers beat the Devils. They yes, did. And they're keeping so, pace with so the Bruins. So, right and the Bruins have three games in hand, if I'm correct. But, two, but, two in hand now. Um, okay. And a four point lead. So. And you got and you got two more games with them down the stretch. So yep. you have look. The Bruins have been blessed with uh, you know so many games against Buffalo late in the season. They have to take advantage of it. But you know, Bridget, you had mentioned earlier how, how different the Bruins look, and. I had commented to you guys a few uh, a few nights ago. I think it was in the first. It was in the second game against. It was in the first game against the Islanders. Uh, um, that it was like the first time all year, where the Bruins legitimately had four lines going. Not because four lines were trying. They've had games where they had four lines trying, but they had four lines that had talent and depth. So you could see it. And Cassidy just just to add this quote in, he said there were no passengers tonight, meaning all four lines were doing exactly what he wanted them to do. Right, but like you're looking at, you know, that first game against the Islanders, the Bruins came out, they were on a mission, and, and you're watching them, and you're like, okay, so the fourth line with Lazar, Corrali, and Wagner, like, they start off the game just hemming the Islanders in, right? And Lazar, like, crunched one of the defensemen behind the net, and it's like, okay, here we go, and the whistle blows face off. Out comes, out comes um, you know, Bergeron, Martian, and Pashnak, and you're like, and they have a great shift, and they score, actually. And then out comes Krejci, Hall, and Smith. And it's like, damn, the Bruins have four lines. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I forgot. Here comes Richie Coyle and DeBrusque. So they were just coming in waves, and that it was just something that was encouraging because, quite frankly, if I'm being honest, up until the trade deadline, if the Bruins you know, didn't really make any moves, their ceiling was you know, six games in the first round. Now their ceiling, everybody's fallen into place, and their ceiling is... You know, final four if they if they play their cards right, and then we'll see what happens. And when once they added Hall, Lazar, and Riley, 
I noticed that some of the other players who had been having some difficult stretches in the season actually step up their game. I don't know if you either of you noticed this, but I think DeBrusque is playing with more energy. Yep. And I think Krejci looks better. It, it's, I mean, it's obvious that Krejci looks better. And Hall and Krejci have been playing off each other in such a way that, you know, they don't have 100% chemistry, but Krejci's a good setup guy, and he's also he's been in the places he needs to be to score. I think that they push each other to get better, and I was joking with Brian that when one scores, the other one has to score because they're, they're similar stats. So they so Krejci had to make it four goals because Hall made it four goals, and now he's got five goals, and they're just going to go. Hopefully for the Bruins, they just go back and forth and kind of go at it, like making each other better, competing with each other a little bit in terms of um, their impact. Well, it's crazy what happens when you give a top six center top six wings. <laughs> right. I know. And he, yeah, he's not dealing with David Backus and Carson Kuhlman and Anders Bjorg and hey. Matt Bolesky and <laughs> on and on we go. Like the, uh, the the list is it's a long laundry list. And honestly, like you'll you can somebody tweeted out the list like a few weeks back and there were guys on that and I was like, Oh my god, I forgot he even, you know, wore a Bruins Austin jersey. Zarnick played it on that line. Zarnick, for a Seth bit. Griffith, yeah, I mean go yeah. down I mean honestly go down the list. Frank for Toronto actually Frankie's doing pretty hey, well in Frankie Florida. Frankie V. Leave Frankie you know, V. No, nothing against you. Yeah. You know, Ryan Spooner. Like, it, it's so many guys that just, like, didn't pan out. And honestly, most of them are even out. You have, like, a, a solid list of probably 12 guys that they've played with Krejci in the last probably five years. And I guarantee you, like, most of them are, aren't even in the league anymore. Yeah. How do you go from playing on Krejci's wing to not being in the NHL, like, a few years later? That just goes to show, like, you know, but... Yeah, he he definitely seems re-energized, and there, you know, Craig Smith. I mean, kid's gonna win a heart one of these days. You know, I mean, he's got, yeah, I think it's eighteen points in sixteen games, yeah. and you know, yeah, we're sitting here talking about Krejci and Hall, but Smith's on a tear, and so that line that line is such a solid line, and I didn't really know what we were gonna get with Craig Smith when he first came to the Bruins, but he has definitely been more than they bargained for. I think they've gotten more out of them than they even thought he, they would. But, he I mean, he's been a 20-goal scorer before, um, and he, he's had good seasons. But this you think this is his best season? Um, if he stretched out to 82, probably. Probably not quite because I think, like, it's probably averaged out to just about his average year or maybe a little better. But it was like he started so slow, and everyone was like, oh, Craig Smith signing. Oh, my God. Like, look at this guy. He can't score. He can't do anything. And – you know, so that was like much worse than he normally is, and now this has been hotter than he normally is. Like, obviously, he, he you know he hasn't been a points per game a point per game guy in the past, and that's what he's been for now sixteen games, which yeah, is a, a pretty long stretch, more, a yeah. little bit more than a point per yeah. game for him. So it, it probably averages out to base basically what you would expect from Smith on the whole over the course of a whole season, but it's just gone from the the cold to the hot. That is how we've gotten there. So hopefully, the hot just continues through into the playoffs. Obviously, so here here's something that's you know, it's worth noting. Um, I don't really think it's going to come to fruition. But, you know, there is a situation where Andre Kasha can end up back in the fold, too. And, and I think it's a big if. But if he were to, then there's another, like, just random decision that they're going to have to make. And, and But the point is the, the Bruins... Been made. But, but prior to the deadline, if he was healthy... He's back in, right? So yeah. now that now they're in a situation where like they do have some depth uh, up front, and and that's a good problem to have. I, I don't see Kasha coming back or or, or being effective, no. but you know, I think even even if he's able to get back into practice at this point and cleared for contact, I imagine that's going to be like a break glass in case of emergency. Like yeah. get him out there for practice, get him involved, 
And if you end up so depleted with injuries or whatever, or or if specifically if like a middle six winger goes down, then maybe he gets a shot. But with everyone healthy, I can't imagine him getting into the lineup. Yeah, yeah there... and Scott, you you listened to Cassie's press conference this morning before the game. He taught someone asked him is is the situation with Trent Frederick. Um, you know, is he still sick or is it more of a, a roster decision that he's not coming back in? And he said it's because he's not sick anymore and it's because he's sticking with the fourth line that he has. And I think in general, he's sticking with the lineup that he has. He likes the way that the team is right now. Brian thinks maybe you switch Frederick back in for Corrali, but I think that he's going to, I think I w- Cassidy's going to stick with the fourth line Ooh. that he has with well, Corrali, Lazar, and Wagner. Uh, One of them he should fill in for. I, if, I'll if, be in, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that goes. Because I, I think while the fourth line looked really good against Buffalo and then the first game against the Islanders, I think it's been a little bit more up and down these last two games now. Uh, they haven't quite had those great offensive zone shifts that they were having. So I, I don't think they've played to the point where like Cassidy. I, I understand that mindset going into Sunday's game. I would say after Sunday's game, if I were Cassie, I'd be not saying I would definitely put Frederick in, but I would be more open to it. Like, I don't necessarily think Corrali and Wagner specifically, I don't think they've played to like the point where they're permanent fixtures on that line. You but don't touch it. Just remembering before the illness for Frederick, he wasn't playing at his best True. level either. And he yeah. wasn't being as physical as he had been in the past. He wasn't, you know, in that fighting mentality. And I think that Cassidy tried to send a message to him before he got sick. Like, hey, this, you know what you need to do for us. You were doing it before. What happened to that? And now he's going to, Brian said this to me too. He's going to have to come back in and, and show Cassidy he's here to play and here to be physical. Well, the distance makes the heart grow fonder. And I think that like, you know, Frederick goes down for a little bit. And all of a sudden, you know, if he's healthy, like you're saying, and that he's he's not cracking the lineup anymore, and when he now that he's healthy, you know, he 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 understands that they brought Lazar, and he understands that there's depth, and he's he's going to what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, take for granted. Take for granted. Thank you. The fact that he's in the lineup, like he's going to appreciate more when he's in the lineup and do what he has to do. And I guarantee, like today's a game where you missed him because I was telling, especially against a team like the well, Capitals. I'll, so. This is one of the this is one of the things we wanted to talk about, but I'd be very surprised if the Islanders, Bruins, or Capitals, if any one of them made it to the Cup Finals, just because it's going to be such a gauntlet to get out of the division, and each team like they're so heavy and, and, and physical. And today was a game where if Kevin Miller's in the lineup, you're not seeing Garnet Hathaway take liberties like he is. You're not seeing the, the the ice shrinks when you don't have somebody like Kevin Miller to police. You know, you, you should have enough there. With Nick Ritchie and Tenorti and Lazar and and some of these some of these guys that get into it, but they didn't do it really today. I mean, Tenorti tried to a little bit, but you missed Kevin Miller. But I guarantee you, if Trent Frederick was in the lineup today, he he would have gotten involved. And so I just think that when you look long term, the Bruins are going to have to have some 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 bite back against the the Islanders and the Capitals in a playoff series. Kevin Miller will be instrumental in that, and I think Trent Frederick would be an optimal player to have on that fourth line. I completely agree with you, Brian. And and to go to your point about the playoff situation where if you run into the Capitals first, if the Bruins run into the Capitals first round or they run in, into the Islanders first round, especially the, I guess we'll stick with specifically the Capitals. You run into them the first round and you come out banged up, like you're most likely coming out with some sort of injuries if you're playing the Capitals just because of the Hathaways and the Wilsons. Um, and their history with being aggressive, even dirty at times, against the Bruins. Yeah, if the Bruins come out of that series, they could be missing a defenseman or two, and 
they're, they're going to have a hell of a time trying to take on the Islanders in that situation. And Brian and I were talking about, well, what if the Bruins get the Penguins first round? And I feel like that's the ideal situation. Not that the Penguins are bad, but they're just not as physical. Or good yeah. defensively. Yeah, I would agree. And that matchup isn't out of the question now because the Bruins, while the Rangers have been keeping pace with the Bruins and hanging around in that battle for fourth, the Bruins have gained ground on the rest of the division. Yeah, so. and, and the Penguins have passed the Islanders. They're they're one point ahead of the Islanders. They're three points ahead of the Bruins. And so the, the Islanders are only essentially one Bruins one and one Islanders lost away yeah. from being tied. Yeah, they're two points ahead of the Bruins, and the Bruins have a game in hand. So, yeah, they're right there. Like, the Bruins can fairly easily, especially, again, if they take advantage of these games against Buffalo, climb up to the third, second, even challenge Washington. Like, this division has really come together in the last couple of weeks. I cannot wait to the last four games of the season. The So, the first it's the Rangers, twice. And then you finish off the season, Islanders-Capitals. Those are all going to be important games, theoretically, if the Bruins don't start pulling away or someone doesn't start pulling away and, and making the gap between fourth and fifth in the division bigger. Those could be really, really important games for the Rangers, and they're going to come at you with everything they got. And the same thing, it's going to determine the final playoff positioning for the Islanders, the Capitals, and the Bruins. So, those games are going to—I cannot wait for those games. Those are going to be some of the best games we've seen. It could mean everything. I mean, if the Bruins are in a situation going into those games where if they win, they play Pittsburgh in a 2-3 matchup in the East as opposed to having to play Washington, uh, that 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 changes their playoff path so much because if you can play the Penguins in round one, and I would like the Bruins' chances in that series. I really would. And then the Capitals and Islanders beat the hell out of each other. And then you get one of those two teams banged up to get to the Final Four and maybe play uh, the Hurricanes, hopefully, not the Lightning. Uh, then there you go. But if you have to play the Capitals and the Islanders both to get out of your division, that, that's a tough ask. But, I mean... Yeah, I would, obviously we're looking ahead a bit, but I would also be interested to see like how much Cassidy would put on prioritizing seeding. And that's it. Like, say, he, he, say they get past that, those Rangers games and they know they're in. Uh, you know, do you go all out in those last two games against the Islanders and Capitals, or do you rest guys if you need it, especially knowing that your last game is against the Capitals, who have injured quite a few of your guys now this season? Like, if someone's a little banged up, do you do you rest them? Do you, you know, it'd be interesting to see how Cassidy Well, for that reason, that. Scott, for that reason, you just said the Capitals are responsible for pretty much every injury on the Bruins this year, and multiply that in a, in a seven-game playoff series, so... It, if I'm Cassidy, and things if, were things if, were close to getting bad today as well. Of course, the, yeah. the Bruins never leave a game against the Capitals without you know having gone through a yard sale. It's just if you play them in a seven game series, there will be carnage, and you're gonna have to suffer for it. You know, on the um, as far as injuries go. So if you're in a situation where you can play the Penguins, you have to win to you know play the Penguins in a series, and you you, you avoid the Capitals in round one. You absolutely you do that do over, over resting players. You go for it. You, you play them all out there one game rather than trying to play seven games. Well, what are you, you going to do? Rest Kevin Miller so we can get you know ran by Tom Wilson in game one and be out for the series? And like, just hope well, he doesn't sleep on his shoulder the wrong by the way, way or whatever. It's also back-to-back to, to end the season, and we're going to have to see if Kevin Miller is able to play back-to-backs by then. Like, you know, the, the injury he's out with right now as of Sunday is not related to his knee. No, it's some sort of a sleeping injury that he got <laughs> He got while yeah. he was asleep. He woke up with something. Um, 
but he wasn't playing back to backs before that. I so. see your face. Is that yeah. true? Is that, that's is that true. Story? That's true. And and what Scott? What did you say? Someone tweeted at you. Now now he's getting injured in his yeah. sleep. Yeah. <laughs> someone like quotes even was like, "Is Kevin Miller now getting hurt in his sleep?" Uh, that's great. So uh, a couple of notes from from the game today. Um, Bergeron scored his or scored the franchise's twenty first thousandth goal. Yes. That's that's you know pretty cool that Bergeron of all people got it well deserved and then um, over a hundred year history it's kind of weird being in the garden when I'm when I'm up on the ninth floor I look across to all the retired jerseys and the the very first retired um, number is somebody whose career started in the 1920s and now we're in yeah. the 2020s it's uh, almost there's a few uh, yeah, yeah Eddie Shore almost a hundred years like, since these guys have yeah. had their seasons yeah had their um, Careers begin. So it's, since it's since Eddie Shore famously drove to Montreal in a snowstorm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's like the one the one Eddie Shore story. Well, and, and you know, you bring up the tenure of the franchise, which helps to highlight one of Marshan's accomplishments today as well. The Bruins' eighth shorthanded goal of the year. So we talk about you know um, you know Bruins records and whatnot. That's like a relevant number to throw out there from today's game because the Bruins already had the best penalty kill in the league percentage wise and now they're tied with the Canadians for the most shorthanded goals six of them from Bergeron and Marchand yeah Marchand by the way fifth fastest the only ones who got there faster Phyllis Pizzito Bobby Orr Rick Middleton and Ray Bork so I mean it's you know he's come a long way from a from a fourth liner in 2010 who made his way to the second line you know, throughout the year, and you know, obviously ended up with two goals in Game Seven of the Cup Finals to where he is now. It's just incredible. I mean, and look, clearly he's not the biggest, right? He's not the fastest or the strongest, and he's not the best at one specific thing, except for maybe protecting the puck. Yeah, he but is. but Insane. but it just goes to show uh, his work ethic on the ice. I mean, that, it, there there's no substitution for for work ethic, and Martian has it in spades. Yeah, and you don't get shorthanded goals unless you're working your ass off trying to pick the puck off at the point and, and you know, getting yourself or forechecking. Some, sometimes the shorthanded goals come when he has a nice forecheck and is able to pop the puck out in front. Um, actually, he had that happen with Bergeron recently on the forecheck. He, he came down behind the net. His stick actually lost his stick, but he had was able to jam the puck out, and Bergeron just scored right in front. So uh, he's, he's able to... Add to the power play, the penalty kill, five on five. He's he's all over the uh, place. All around player. But I mean that that shorthanded goal you speak of, you know, he he deflected two capitals, you know, past attempts or zone. You know, the one was his own entry, got a stick on that, and then Snorty ices it. Then he then he uh, you know hunts down John Carlson, you know, reigning Norris winner by the way, active you know leading uh, point scorer for defenseman in the league, no slouch, and you know anticipates that he's gonna you know bank it off the boards and. You know, with Martian stick flying in the air, and then you know the Bergeron, you know nets it in front. But furthermore, the very next shift, they're still killing off the penalty, and he's blocking an Alex Ovechkin one timer. So he's willing to do everything it takes, and that's what you have to admire about him. Yeah, it's it's insane. And what what Martian and Bergeron do on the penalty kill is insane. Like, so I put some numbers on wei.com Sunday, but they over the last three seasons. The two of them have combined for more shorthanded goals than twelve entire NHL teams. Like it's why, and this season specifically, they each have three, which is tied for the second most in the league. And the only, besides the Bruins, the only team with more shorthanded goals than the two of them this year is the Canadians. Like it, they've, when they've been on the ice during the penalty kill this season, the Bruins have scored six goals and given up six goals. 
They've broken even over 43 games on the penalty kill. Like, it's it's just nuts. Well, what makes them so effective is, you know, when you watch a lot of penalty kills, um, especially a lot of average penalty kills, you see guys kind of like doing the basics, right? You know, getting the box, you know, getting the sh- getting shooting lanes, whatnot. You watch the best of the best, and what they do is they pressure the the uh, the power play, right? Anytime and they don't let and they don't let you go where you want to go with it. They direct you, you know, you know, like where they want you to pass yes. the puck. So Martian and Bergeron, like they anticipate the play so well, like they 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 know what the power play is looking for. But furthermore, when there is a loose puck, they they are attacking relentlessly. And oftentimes, you know, people on the power play don't want to put that work in. You know, they kind of like they just want it to be easy. And then you know they create something out of nothing, and it's it, it's really fun to watch. And I, you know we don't I don't take it for granted watching it. it. It's phenomenal what they do. I mean they're more effective on the penalty kill, more of a scoring throw on the PK than the power play, which is crazy. I mean I'm watching that five minute power play at the end of the game, and you know you're yeah. watching Krejci and Pasta like you know trying to go through three people in his own entries, and like just things aren't <laughs> connecting. And then you go on the PK, and it's just like two on ones and. And then listening to, this is my favorite thing at Bruins game, listening to the fans go, shoot the puck, shoot the puck. Every time they have a power play and they're getting, you know, they're they're getting some passing going. And if shots aren't going on net, there's that one guy or probably more like a hundred guys in the stands going, shoot the puck. (laughs) Yeah. Or the, like the lady behind you with the really scratchy voice. (laughs) Shoot. With her, you know, garden beer, like spilling onto your back in front of her. Yeah, that, yeah, lady, he's really, you know, Krejci's going to score now because of you. I mean, I there, there was definitely a time this season where that would not have been the worst advice, where, where the Bruins probably really was just, like, passing all around the outside and not shooting enough. I think I think Andrew Ference made a reference to that, like, on a interview with something. He was talking about the Bruins' 2011 Cup run. He was like, he was like, yeah, maybe, you, maybe were one of you guys saying this, like, last week or something like that? Or somebody was no. telling me, but he was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, we're on the power play and, you know, people were telling us to shoot. I don't know how he would have scored if it wasn't for them telling us that, <laughs> or something along those lines. He was, you know, he was being facetious. But actually, Andrew Ferentz also came up recently because when Taylor Hall was traded to Boston, um, you know, it was brought up that you know he, uh, Ferentz talked about when he was in Edmonton and coming from a winning culture in Boston. Not too far after, um, well, he went from Boston to Edmonton. It was a couple years removed from the Cup that they had won, and uh, you know, Ferentz was talking about some of the younger players in Edmonton not really getting it, and you know, th- you know, kind of joking that you know why are you trying so hard in practice and, you know, they would lose and just kind of, you know, be young, you know, be young kids and enjoy the town and stuff. And obviously without naming names, I mean, Hall was of the forefront. So that was the concern uh, for some people, but the change of scenery clearly for Hall has been beneficial. And I think coming to a locker room with a winning culture and, you know, Bergeron and Martian, those leaders, and they, they, they lead by example on the ice. And I think that when Hall scored his first goal and you saw Bergeron give him that bear hug, you know, was Hall grinning ear to ear? No, but you know that meant a lot to him, and I think that under the right guidance, I think it's a breath of fresh air for him. Without naming names, <laughs> yeah. Without naming names, uh, Taylor Hall. But uh... <laughs> well, he he was yeah. I mean, it was like Taylor Hall, uh, Jordan Eberle, probably Nugent Hopkins, maybe Neil Yakupov. I don't really yeah. know who was on the team when Ference was there, but I mean, I they had like seventeen yeah, first rounders in a row, so. Um, yeah, but it, it, I think look, having Hall here in the, in the in the top six, don't overlook Lazar in the bottom six. The Bruins just have had uh, their 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 offense is just much different, and they're they're much better suited for you know for a deep run. Can I interject that uh, Buffalo just beat Pittsburgh, so 
they won. Uh, and so that changes things for the Bruins as well, especially going into the series with Buffalo. Well, so there you go. I mean, Buffalo beat the Caps the other day. Now they're beating Pittsburgh. And, you know, it took you um, a shootout to beat them. And the first time we played them in Boston, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, it took a Craig Smith goal in the final minutes to win that one. So, look, Buffalo's not going to they're not gonna roll over. These guys are professional athletes, every single one of them, and they're all proud guys, the coaching staff. Like, no one's going to roll over and die, you know, just because they were sellers at the trade deadline. It doesn't work that way. And if you're the Bruins and you think it does, then you're going to be paying for it, I think. So, But the Bruins have leadership in place, and I think they'll be fine. And... I don't honestly. The Bruins can allow fifty goals and in, in, uh, fifty shots in these games, and I don't see the goalies, you know, giving up much um, on Boston's end. So I'm fairly confident the Bruins will take care of business. Um, any closing thoughts before we we head out? No, I, I'm just I'm glad that that this is going to be an exciting stretch run for the Bruins. If they had done nothing, this could have really been quite a drag down the stretch, where it's like eh, maybe they hang on to a playoff spot, but they're not playing well. There's no real reason to be excited. You know, I, I we said it before. I know there are some people who were talking about, like, selling and all this. And I know we were all on team buy, team get help. And Sweeney did. And you can just see, like, not only have the new guys stepped in right away and contributed, but the whole team just looks energized. Like, and and they've said it. Like, when they've, talk, when they've talked to the media, they've said, like, yeah, it's good to know that management believes in you and went out and got help and you know, and, and believes that you have a chance to make a cup run. So, like, got the pieces. They look like a – really like a whole new team almost. It took, the, it took the pressure off because a lot of the guys in their post-game interviews recently in the past four games since uh, everybody was added at the deadline have made references to the fact that they didn't know what was going to happen at the deadline, and it was causing them to, to be worried a little bit, not – not necessarily knowing whether or not they were going to be with the team or not not necessarily knowing um, what kind of team they were going to have after that, whether or not they're going to be buyers or sellers. I'm sure they had a feeling they were going to be buyers, but uh, it, it took a whole amount of pressure off them. And then when they saw the guys that they got, it just took off even more. Well, here's the other thing, too. You shored up your top six, great. Okay, like they have a bona fide top six now when they're going, and that's awesome. But the key to all this is is that third line. I mean, because you have to anticipate that if you go on a deep run, all teams have a solid top six. So those 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 third line battles are oftentimes uh, those are, those are the money makers. And you know, if Coyle and DeBrusque specifically can get going, then we're really talking about something that could be done here. Yeah, and I think they've that line Coyle, Coyle with Richie and DeBrusque. Has shown signs. It's clearly still a work in progress. The the three of them together haven't played together very much this season. So in some ways, you know, yeah, your second line's a new line. Your fourth line's a new line. Even though your third line, all those guys have been here, that's really a new line as well because they just with DeBrusque on the offside. Yeah, he's playing a, a different wing than he's used to. Yeah. So, but they've definitely shown flashes. There's been stretches where that's looked pretty good. Now it's going to start converting into some goals. You know, it's not – if you're going to be a cup contender, you don't want a third line that just plays well with the puck, has some good four checks, doesn't get scored on. You want them to produce offense. To Brian's point, that's often where series gets swung is, all right, if the top line or the top two lines kind of cancel each other out, whose third line's winning? And that requires offense. That's not just a territory possession game. And it comes down to whose goalie's winning yeah. a lot in the playoffs. 
Well, I well for sure. I mean, absolutely. That's that's. I mean, Tukarask by the numbers is probably the greatest goalie in Bruins history. But you know, Tim Thomas won him a Stanley Cup. So I mean, of course. I mean, but one game that comes to mind in 2011, I distinctly remember uh, the Bruins being down 2-0, losing the first two games in Boston to the Canadians. In Game Three, the Bruins won the game. Believe, and when I say I believe, I know. Michael Ryder scored two goals in that game. He was on the third line, including the overtime winner. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, and, and, you know, those guys were big the entire year. Uh, well, well actually, just, after the deadline the, when they got them. The but, 2019 run where Coyle had a couple games where he took over. There yeah. was the game against the Blue Jacks where he scores the tying goal late in regulation and, and the winning goal in overtime. So, yeah, you're, you're going to need a third line that, that can have a game like that. Ironically enough, the Bruins didn't really have a, a great second line in the 19 run. Right. I mean, you had the, you had the top line, you had Coyle, Johansson, and Heinen, but then you had Krejci, DeBrusque, and insert Kuhlman, Backus. And, you know, when you had uh, trouble in Game 7 scoring, that could have been, you know, a big difference. So hopefully, it seems, on paper, if everybody plays to their capabilities, the Bruins have that depth. Um, whether they can pull it, pull it off or not is, is another question. Yeah, and get healthy and stay healthy on defense. Like, by the way, we're talking about all this four straight wins, looking good, looking like a new team. They've done it without Grizzly and Carlo, who... By, and partially, and, and without, partially Miller. without Miller. Grizzly and Carlo, by any measure, two of your top four defensemen. Miller is your third third pairing rock that's going to be there with, you know, if everyone's healthy, whether it's Lausanne or whoever. Um, but yeah, you're doing it without them, and... I know we've talked plenty about how you can't take health on defense for granted, and defense hasn't been healthy for the Bruins all season, but those guys are all supposed to be coming back at some point. Grizzly probably the soonest. So so I, I one last thing I'll say, and then Bridget, I'll throw it to you if you have a close, but, you know, just it's no coincidence. I mean, this team for two months was unable to string together three straight wins. It was win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win one, maybe win one, lose one, lose one. It, they just they couldn't put it together. And so it's no coincidence that now with a more complete um, offensive roster, we'll call it, because you just alluded to the fact that they're still injured on D, um, it's no coincidence that, that you know they've strung together four wins now in a row and you know can make it up to seven against Buffalo. You know, so... This my point is this is the Bruins team that we have to ride or die with now. Like if they're going to win a Stanley Cup, this is the group. Whereas two weeks ago we couldn't say that because we knew changes were looming. So it's you know you, the trade deadline comes and goes. Your guys that you traded for have been impactful and you've won four in a row. So all things are good in that front. Like if if these guys hadn't done anything and they lost three or four, it'd be a different story. And you know maybe they miss out on the playoffs and. Maybe it's just not their year. But they're giving us something to cheer for, something to write about, something to podcast about. So that's all we can really ask for. All right, so that's the Skate Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, at the Skate Pod, and myself, Bridget, and Scott are tagging that as well. And we will talk to you guys next week.